0: equation. I mean, like, how many times have you made a commitment to yourself or to somebody else with every intention of keeping it and fell on your face? Like, I don't know, hypothetically, maybe on Monday and Tuesday, you were like, hey, I'm gonna eat well this week. You went out to to lunch, you got a salad, and by Saturday, you had leftover donuts from going to the apple orchard, and you had three, because there were three left. I'm saying that wasn't me this week. That definitely was exactly me this week, okay? So, but maybe it's not something as simple as that. Maybe it's something like, hey, I made a commitment that I told my spouse I was going to leave work at this time every day this week so I could be home by dinner or be home to put the kids to bed. And you had every intention of doing that. And yet, five o'clock came and work wasn't done. And you felt this internal pressure to keep going even though you made a commitment, right? I think... There's something about this where we want to rise to the best version of ourselves, but you and I aren't perfect. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see how Abraham responds after his failure, right? Because not only does he run to Egypt, forget about God, but he also like, leaves his wife out to dry in the process. So let's pick up. We're going to be in Genesis 13, and we're going gonna to cover this whole chapter this morning. It says this in verse 1. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot, that's his nephew, and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar and there he worshiped the Lord again. All right, so I, I, I want to help make sure we see how far he actually traveled. So I stole some maps. Have no copyright to put these up here, but it's not online, so it's fine. Okay, so I'm going to walk over here. Hope that my microphone doesn't do anything crazy. It's going to go crazy. Can I go around it? Behind it? Okay. <laughs> okay. So he's in Canaan up here. Right there. Right there. I know, this is great. If I had a couple more inches, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. He comes all the way down to Egypt. That is a long way to walk, okay? And then it says he comes back, and it says he goes to the Negev or the Negeb, all right? And what it, what's happening is the Bible is highlighting to us just how far this journey is because it says that he, from there to get back, it says they traveled in stages, meaning like they can't just do it all at once. They're having to go piece by piece by piece. All right, there's a lot going on in that map. You could take it down. I just wanted to show you just how far he actually has to travel, okay? And so what's happening is what we need to understand is that the author of Genesis is Moses. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to compare and contrast two things for us. The first thing he wants us to do is there's some intentional language where he's trying to get us to remember what just happened in chapter 12. And then later in the chapter, he's going to use some intentional language to compare and contrast how Abraham and how Lot do things. Okay, so what he's doing early on is the same word, put back up that um, chunk of that, that first, there we go. The same word where it says he's very rich in livestock is the same word in chapter 12 where it says the, the famine was severe. So what Moses is doing here, he says, hey, there's something that happens. This famine is severe. They go, they come back. The word is actually heavy. Comes back and is like, hey, now he is heavy with riches. The same word is used to show us that both kinds of heavy are ultimately going to produce a test for Abraham. Okay? And so I just want us to look at what happens, right? Abraham has this moment with God. He has a, there's a famine. He runs away. And then notice the simplicity of what he does. He, he just goes back, right? He, he fails. He, he messes up on multiple accounts. And notice he, he doesn't hide from God. He doesn't avoid God. He doesn't even go back to the first place that he set up an altar, and worshiped. No, he went back to the last place that he set up an altar and worshiped. And this is significant because we get no indication that while he's in Egypt, he does anything to interact with God. We don't get any mentions of altars. We don't get any indication that he's interacting with God at all. And as he comes back, it says he goes directly. Now, he has to, it takes them some time to get there because they've traveled so far, but it says he goes right back to where he was when he was worshiping. Right? There's so much simplicity in this action. He literally just turns around and walks back to God. And so, when you and I realize that we're not where we want to be spiritually, what this means is that we just need to go back to the last place where we were good in our relationship with God. So let me ask you this question. Spiritually how are you doing spiritually? Are you in Egypt, or are you in Bethel? Are you in Egypt? Meaning, maybe you've, you've you've created some distance between you and God. Probably not on purpose. Just life picked up pace, and you started doing life without Him. Or are you in Bethel? Are you intentional about how you're relating to God? So, to, to help you to kind of figure out where you are in this, let me ask you a couple questions. Was there a time in your life when you felt closer to God than you do right now? Was there a time when you were more committed to God than you are right now? Is there a period of your life that you look back on with fondness where you're like, man, I wish I, wish I could regain that? Right, if you're not as close to God as you used to be, go back to doing what you used to do. I think that sometimes we can overcomplicate things. So for Abraham, it's like, hey, I know I've got to go to the altar regularly to commune with God. I wonder for us, is it that you need to reestablish a routine of getting up earlier than you have to to spend time with God in his word and in prayer in the morning? I wonder for some of us, it's being bold and sharing your faith more regularly. What about committing your commute to God? Maybe you used to spend your time on the way into work praying. Maybe you spent your time listening to worship music on purpose. Maybe you, you intentionally had silence so that you could hear from God. And if you're like me, what you've done is you've just inserted the latest podcast somebody told you to listen to. Don't make following God more difficult than it has to be. Because I think what can happen after we realize, hey, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, we can like overcomplicate it. Instead of going back to something you've done before, you're like, okay, I'm reading the Bible and here's what's going on. Now's the time. I'm going to read Revelation and figure out what it means. Wrong. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, I'm reading it right now. Don't do that. Okay. We either overcomplicate or we overcompensate because we feel bad, right? We know all that God has done for us. And we're like, man, God, I'm sorry, I have fallen. And, and so what we do is we, we begin to, we, we come up with an action plan that is not sustainable, right? So you're like, hey, you know what? I haven't really read my Bible for the last six months, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to commit to reading the whole Bible in 90 days. Hey, that's probably not the right plan, why don't we like read the Bible consecutively for 90 days before we try to take down the whole Bible in 90 days? You know? And so do something sustainable. And, and here's, what, here's what I would encourage you. There are some of you who maybe you, you don't have a period of your life that you look back on and say, hey, I want to replicate that. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Start simple, right? Get a Bible, a physical Bible, Don't read from your phone. Terrible idea. I don't care how good focus mode is. It's not that good because you can still send it silently. What's the point? I don't know. Don't, don't, I'll I'll get on a trail. Don't do it. I'm there. Get a Bible that you can read and actually understand. Right? I would encourage you. Like, if you have a Bible that when you read it, you're like, hey, I'm on, like, I'm, if you spend most of your time looking up what the English word is meaning, you probably need a different translation, okay? And get a Bible that has study notes in it so that when you don't understand, you have something immediately below to help interpret and then understand what's going on, all right? I love talking about Bibles. So if you have some questions, come talk to me. I got more recommendations than I should, okay? So get a Bible you can understand, Get a notebook that you're not embarrassed to carry around. I'm talking to guys, okay? I'm not gonna call it a journal because I'm not carrying a journal around, but I'll carry a notebook around. Get a notebook that you're not embarrassed to have. And as you read, jot things down that stand out to you. Jot things down that you have questions about. If you spend some time praying at the end, which I would encourage you to do, write down some things that you're praying about and then bring that notebook on Sunday morning to take notes and You might be, oh my goodness, I read this thing this week. Have no idea what it's talking about. Ask somebody, all right? Start simple. And and I just wanna be practical and just acknowledge that there are seasons of our life where this is more difficult than others. And so you may look back on your life and go, hey, that period of of my life right after I gave my life to Christ, I was on fire for Jesus. I wanna recapture all of that. Here's the thing. You probably won't, and that's okay. But I want you to think about what was going on in your life at that time. You were experiencing more passion, more gratitude, and more dependency on God than you ever had before. Lean into cultivating those things in your life, and I promise you that God will do something to stir in you. And then let me just let me just pause. I know there's a, there's a couple of you in here, so I'm gonna speak right to you. Young moms, y'all are in a really difficult season, okay? I'm saying this because I see this like firsthand, okay? Don't hear me say do more and try harder. What I'm asking y'all to do is just not give up. And I read an article this week just with y'all in mind, and the author basically said, just make the most of the margins. Set yourself up to make the most of the time that you have. And what I know is that when you seek God, you will find him. As you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And even if you don't have the time, the energy or the bandwidth mentally that you used to have, God will meet you where you are, right? And just know, y'all are in a hard season. I know, I see it. And y'all are both like literally sitting in line with each other. So it's really easy for me to talk to y'all. But I just felt like y'all needed, y'all needed a little bit of encouragement this morning. All right, and here's why for all of us, why it's so important for us to cultivate our relationship with God, is that a test is coming. A test is coming, right? Don't be surprised when we experience difficulties and trials, right? So we're going to pick up reading. We're going to see test number two. This is Abraham's kind of retake. He failed it. His teacher was real kind and let him retake the test. It says, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep, goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. So remember, God said, hey, Abram, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you so much, you're gonna be able to bless the nations. Lot is already living this out. Abraham is blessing. Abraham is blessed so much that because Lot is close to him, he gets blessed. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land, right? So I want you to picture Western, John Wayne, right? Everybody's got their cattle, right? And there's disputes over where, whose line's where, and somebody's moving a line, right? Like that's what's going on. They're fighting over having enough land for all that they have. And I love what Abram says. He says, hey, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen after all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, I'll take the right. If you want the right, I'll take the left. Now notice, there's, there's so much simplicity here. Again, Abraham, Abraham is just simple. But he gives us, a, I think, a very helpful picture of how to handle conflict based on money. He's like, hey, let's just, let's just not. Let's just not allow this to create the kind of separation that usually comes. All right, but but here's it's subtle, but notice that Abraham faces the same problem here that he finished faced in the last chapter. In chapter 12, there's a famine, right? There's no food. But here it says, hey, the land can't support all these animals. All right? What happens if the land can't support the animals? Well, animals are gonna die. So we see the same test in abundance that we saw. famine. And I think it's important for us to realize this, is that spiritually speaking, it's the same thing as when we had to retake a test in school, right? Let's say you failed or the whole class failed and your teacher was kind enough to let you retake a test, right? You did not get the same test the second time. You were getting tested on the same principles but with different numbers, right? So instead of X minus 10 is four, now it's X minus 10 is five, Right, so for Abraham, it's, hey, do you trust God when there's a family? Now it's, hey, do you trust God to provide even though there's too many of y'all in the same place? And so that's important for us to recognize. God's probably not gonna give us the exact same test two times in a row, but he's testing us on the same principle. And I just wanna highlight, because it's good when we get to see people get it right, is notice how differently Abraham responds in this chapter from the last chapter, right? In the last chapter, he's only focused on himself. And in this chapter, he's not. He could have looked at Lot and said, hey man, God gave me this land, y'all gotta go. He also could have looked at Lot and said, hey, you can stay, but I'm getting first choice. He doesn't do any of that, right? He actually gives up his right to choose, And I think the reason why Abraham does this is because he is content. He's content to be where God has him. He's content for God to provide. And he's content to be in the land he promised. And while we see contentment out of Abraham, we see the opposite out of Lot. Look at what what Lot does starting in verse 10. It says, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So we got some great foreshadowing here about what's going to happen. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the Lord but the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. All right, so I've got another map. I'm going I'm to retreat again and see if we can get over here. This is exactly the way that you do it, behind the TV. Okay, so they are up here. Where Lot ends up coming is down here. So this area, this is Zoar, this little dot, and this kind of valley right here is where he settles. Now what this is showing us, I'm going to come back over here, what this is showing us is where the tribes of Israel are eventually going to settle. So notice, Lot is basically straddling where God wants his people to be and where people who aren't following God are. Right? It says that he, he kind of gets near Sodom. But we have to notice what is Lot focused on. Put, put, back, up, put back up verse 10. Just, just look at the description. The fertile plains. It's well watered everywhere. It's beautiful land like Egypt. He's focused on the physical. He's focused on the material. And on paper, it all makes sense, right? You got a bunch of animals. You're going to go to the place that's fertile right? That's how you set yourself up for prosperity, right? But we just saw, we just saw what happens when you pursue the things of the world apart from God and the consequences that come. And he's basically leaving behind God's promises as he leads behind God's promised land. And so does Lot pause to consider the consequences of moving outside of God's land? I don't think so. Does he pause to consider the consequences of moving close to a group of people who the Bible tells us are extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord? No. He simply sees a place where his family can thrive materially, money-wise, and he goes that direction without considering the consequences that will come. And so here's the caution for us. When we use the same perspective, And parameters that Lot does to make decisions will make the same decisions and will endure the same consequences. So here's the question for us, y'all. How do you make decisions? What lens do you use to make decisions? And I think there are really two options. There's a worldly lens and a spiritual lens. Do you use a worldly lens where you think about things the way the world does, where you do all you can to get as much as you can? Recently, the phrase that I've heard is, get the bag. Y'all heard this phrase? Okay, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio, again, instead of worship music in the car. And the, the thing that I hear all the time is when somebody gets a new contract that is for far more money than any of us could ever imagine getting for playing with a the ball, um, they say so-and-so got the bag. Got the bag, right? Living for a pile of of cash. That's what it means, right? Do you live your life like the world does, saying, hey, whatever I got to do to get the bag, to pursue money, to pursue success, to pursue fame, is that the lenses that you're using to make your decision? Or are you using spiritual lenses, where you think about things the way God does, where he says, hey, love God and love others, where he says, hey, consider others as more important than yourself, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and trust me to provide the rest. So as you make decisions, what's most important to you? Whose economy matters most to you? God's economy or the world's economy? Do you want to be rich in the world's eyes, or do you want to store up treasures in heaven? And I'll just be honest, one of the ways that I have seen this play out over and over again is when people make a decision to move. And that could be moving somewhere to go to college, or it could be moving somewhere for a job. And what I see is that people will spend so much time thinking about where to go. They'll put in all these components and all these factors. And one of the things that people almost never factor in is where am I going to go to church? And so one of the things I did as a youth pastor was just beg them, hey, have a thought. Have a thought, and check this out. When you go this spring or this summer for orientation, Go, drag your parents and go, and go introduce yourself to somebody so that they recognize your face when you go back. Right, and, I, and here's the assumption I think people make. Well, there's churches everywhere. So there's, there's gotta be a church there for me to belong to and grow in. And here's the thing, in God's kindness, that is true. And yet, just because it's true does not mean that you prioritized your faith and spiritual matters as you made the decision. And, and what I think about with this is somebody who's colorblind getting to have glasses to see for the first time, right? So I've, I've heard people talk about this. I have a friend who is colorblind and he got, the, he got the glasses. But what it really reminds me of is there's this sitcom that I love. And one of the guys on the show, is colorblind, but you don't know this, but he's known for wearing this like ridiculous clothes. He's wearing these super colorful, the patterns are ridiculous. He wears all these shirts with like birds on them. No one really ever knows why, right? And one day you find out he's colorblind and you're like, okay, it all makes sense, right? And so his girlfriend gets him these glasses that correct colorblindness. And basically, he's like, oh, I just thought kind of the world was just different shades of brown, basically. And he puts them on, and he has the moment that you expect him to have, right? Like, oh, my goodness, color. Oh, that's blue? Oh, that's green? Okay, like, he's having this moment. And then all of a sudden, he gets super upset. And you're like, dude, why are you upset? And basically, he looks at himself, and he's like, I look ridiculous. You, people, girlfriends, friends, how have you let me dress this way for so long? He's like, hey, now that I can actually see the way that I'm supposed to see, I recognize the way that I used to see led to ridiculous consequences. I look foolish. And I think the same thing is true once we begin to see things from God's point of view and with a spiritual lens. When we go back to looking at things through a worldly lens, we recognize it's just as foolish and just as ridiculous. And here's the thing, y'all. If we make decisions from a worldly point of view, there, are, there is a chance that you will temporarily get the things that you want. But what we miss out on is the fullness of God's protection and provision. We endure unnecessary, unnecessary difficulty, and we forfeit God's promises. Because think about this, Lot could have taken a part of the promised land. He could have positioned himself to be in the place and in the promises of God but what he thought was I'm going to go be where it looks better despite what God has promised and as we continue to read this his, this story in Genesis it's going to get real clear to us that he makes the wrong decision So Lot walks away from the promise and Abraham plants himself in the land God promised him and God meets him there look at what it says it says after Lot had gone the Lord said to him look, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west. All right, so what's happening here, this is where Moses is trying to help us see the, the contrast between Abraham and Lot. Because Lot, it says, basically, he, he looked at it intently. He drank in all that the, the world had to offer him, and he went that direction. And notice, God says to Abraham, hey, look. It actually says, look up, which almost has this indication that he is bowed down And God tells him to look up. Look, as far as you can see in any direction, I am giving all this land to you, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. So, what I love, I love, go back to the last, I love it. It basically feels like God is reaffirming his promises to Abraham here. He just repeats it Hey, Abraham, you failed miserably, but your failure does not cut you off from my promises. He says, Hey, you are going to take all this land. And notice the way that God talks to him almost in extremes. He's like, Hey, Everywhere is like beyond what you can see, this is where you're gonna have possession of. And you're gonna have so many descendants, they can't be counted, right? Like, like God saying, hey, you're not missing out on these blessings and these promises. And when you get blessed by me, it's to the extreme. And here's the thing, I think this is encouraging for us that when we fail, not if we fail, when we return to God, God doesn't just cut us off from himself and his promises, He says, hey, I don't change. And my promises to you and my plans for you don't change. When we turn back to God, he continues to work in us and continues to work through us. So let me ask just two questions for you as we close our time together. The first is what is one step that you can take to cultivate your relationship with God? Whether you love where you are spiritually or you look back on another season wishing you were closer to God. What's something you need to return to doing or what's something new that you need to begin? All right, what's one step you can take to cultivate your relationship with God? And then are you making decisions through a worldly or a spiritual lens? Are you making decisions like Abraham or like Lot? So let me do this. I'm gonna pray for us and the band is gonna come up and we're gonna get to worship together a little bit more. God, we are grateful for your grace, and for your mercy. We're grateful that just like Abraham, our failures don't have to cut us off from you. God, I pray that you would help us to see clearly where we are spiritually. God, not so that we feel bad about where we are, but so that we have a desire to draw closer to you. God, help us to see what is one step we can take this week to grow closer to you. And God, help us to make decisions in a way that glorify you, that have you in mind, you at the center, and your kingdom and your glory at the root of what we do. God, we're grateful that we get a chance to know you and have a relationship with you. God, thank you for your word. We love you. It's your name I pray.